3: Hello, and welcome back to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. I love a good underdog story, and my guest today exemplifies that. Meet Patrick Spence. He joined a little-known company, Research in Motion, when no one had heard of it. This is before it became a global sensation as the maker of the BlackBerry device. Remember that, the BlackBerry? Well, after 13 years there, he joined another unknown company. Today, you know it as Sonos the hardware audio company that introduced smart speakers to a mass audience. Patrick, who's been CEO of Sonar since 2017, joined me for a wide-ranging conversation. What struck me is the candor with which he talks about mistakes made and lessons learned and how BlackBerry's demise shaped his thinking as a business leader.
4: I think this is an important lesson which is like you have to be thinking and looking around the corners to understand okay, like, is there something else coming? And do we need to be extending this in a different way? Is the world changing, right? Are the trends around here different? Um, And so, you know, we, uh, I think we had a huge opportunity and we, we just didn't make the right decision in that front.
3: We also talked about him taking on tech giants, creating a culture of trust, his passion for sport. And of course he reveals what's on his playlist. Here's Patrick Spence on Out of Office. If you're ready, should we just get right into it?
4: Sure. I'm good.
3: Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me on Out of Office. It's my pleasure. You know, the last year, well, really the last two years, we've all been working from home. We've been on Zoom calls. I'm recording this podcast from home. It's made everyone think a lot more about audio and sound. How has this influenced your thinking about sound and audio quality, and how has that influenced your strategy at Sonos?
4: Yeah, you know what we when the pandemic struck, we really threw out our playbook and you know kind of tried to figure out okay, what, what do we what do you do now, right? When something like that strikes, and really connecting back to our mission to be the world's leading sound experience company, we said, you know what, we can bring some joy to people. And that's really what we can do. And that's how we can serve, you know, our customers and the world best at this particular point in time. And it really, you know, working from home could be a lonely proposition. Um, we don't have the same kind of energy and environment that we, we have had in the office necessarily. And a big part of our offices was always music playing and people, yeah, you know, having right. fun, right? Of course. And that kind of environment, right? We had artists coming and play and, and a whole bunch of those things. And so we really felt we had an opportunity, um, you know, connected to, with what we do to, to help bring that to people. And so we launched a series of campaigns to help people um, set up their home office and really focus on that and how to bring music um, and better audio into their home office. But we also expanded that to um, our home theater products because we knew people would be watching a lot more streaming content and video, and, and we helped make that a better experience for people and bring... You know, a theater-like experience to people's homes, and so we found those were like two areas we actually felt like we could do something to make life a little better in a difficult time um, for people. And then we we actually did change our roadmap a little bit as well because we had some products that um, would have been better suited, you know, for. Um, outdoors that then we deprioritized and we brought those out a little later because we, we thought, okay, if this is going to be a situation where, um, you know, people are stuck at home, we don't want to be launching a product which is used outside of the home, right? Yeah. And so we, we made some changes um, to our roadmap, um, you know, ultimately to try and time, you know, what we expect at that point would be um, a lockdown of a few months, but ultimately, you know, we had to um, wait we to, we've obviously... the world's changed completely and we've adapted and kind of dealt with that. But I I think it it kind of got us back to our core and helped Mm -hmm. us realize, you know, hey, we can actually help people out in this moment. And and that's a great feeling, right, when you can do that and create the, you know, create an environment for people where they, you know, they get a little bit more joy at home. And, And that's fundamentally what we do.
3: One of the other things you did during the pandemic is you introduced something called care time. Which is yeah. ten hours a week for your employees and a monthly holiday. Is that still in place? And what is it all about?
4: So when the pandemic struck, you know, I mentioned we threw out the playbook, and and the number one priority was support our people and make sure that you know we our people would be in a good position. Um, so equipping them to be able to do their jobs, but also recognizing that a lot of people had a lot of other pressures in their lives, whether it's you know supporting their family. Um, supporting neighbors, like people in the community, whatever they were going to do, extended family. And so we wanted to be supportive of that. Um, we recognized kind of the mental health challenges that you know, came with this time as well. And so, like you said, we, we introduced care time uh, eight hours a week in terms of time that you could take to um, be with your family, just decompress, those, those kind of things. And um, and then the holiday we did in off months where there was no other holiday and just gave people a break, um, you know, here and there. We we you know we will do um, and we continue to do holidays every once in a while when we feel it makes sense and give people time off. Um, and we have an open time off uh, policy that I you know lead by taking you know a fair bit of time off as well and try to uh, socialize inside the organization so that I set the example that. You know, open time off means actually take time off, right, and, and be able to go and enjoy, um, you know, yourself, decompress, and do some of those things. Um, and we still continue to have care time as well. And really, I think the challenge for every company, for leaders, um, and right down to every person inside the company is, as the world reopens um, and we hit this new phase, right? Because it's not going back to what we were before; it's an entirely new phase, um, and we have new things to figure out it is how do we, you know, lead a balanced, integrated life, um, you know, between um, all aspects of what we need to do. And I think we're trying to figure that out. Um, You know, we, um, we've really gone down the path of something called intentional flexibility, which Mm -hmm. is about, you know, starts from a fundamental place of trusting our people um, and helping them, you know, they know their job best. And so what we actually do is have them work with their manager to determine Are they, you know, what's the right working arrangement for them? Is it to be um, working from home the majority of the time? Is it working in the office majority of time? Um, I think companies that try to prescribe, um, at least in the kind of industry, knowledge industry we are, there's no one size fits all. And so to try and prescribe like certain days a week or certain times is, um, you know, is I think is just a fool's errand in this day and age. And so at least for our business, you know, we've really come at it from um, a place of trust and assuming that our people know their job the best and they can work with their manager to determine where do they best do their work as well.
3: What is open time off? Does that mean you can take as many days off in a year?
4: That's right, yeah. So it's, um, some companies call it unlimited vacation. Uh, We call it open time off. And so they can, you know, people can take as much time I think at the end of the day, the thing is, you know, are you having impact in your role in the way that we need it? And, you know, whether you choose to work from home, whether you choose to work from the office, like all of these things. The thing that matters at the end of the day is, are you delivering what you need to for um, the role that you're in? And, and that's what we try to keep everybody focused on and understanding and Um, you know, and so, yeah, we have the open time off policy and try to be pretty flexible in working our schedules and all of the things we need to do to create it, you know, make Sonos a great place to work.
3: I want to go back to your Um, to the start of your career, or the early days of your career, and you've taken a fair number of risks in your professional life. And you talked about, uh, you joined Research in Motion when it was a tiny, unknown company. Of course, it became a household name with BlackBerry later on. But when you joined it, it had, what, um, barely any, like 150 employees?
4: Yes, um, that's right.
3: Very, very tiny. What drew you to Research in Motion when it was an unknown name with such few people?
4: Yeah, you know, it was um, really the the mission of the company. So, so it was at the intersection of computing, um, wireless, and the internet. And so for me, that was super interesting. These were trends that I was kind of following and thought, oh, this is pretty interesting. Um, then there were the people, and this is like one of the most important thing I, I try to um, you know tell anybody that's kind of looking for career advice, which is you know, what, what do you think of the people that you're going to work with? And, you know, and I just was lit up by the co-founders and the leadership team that was there. And it just felt like something special was happening. And then there was the opportunity, you know, it was an opportunity for me to get in early um, in a startup and it was definitely risky. But I felt like, okay, this is going to stretch me, and this job is going to stretch me and give me opportunities I just wouldn't have inside taking like a traditional role at a traditional company that you would go into. And so, at that time in life, and I could see this in hindsight, that's the best time to take those risks, right? Is early on when you don't have a you know family and you don't have other um, aspects that you know people that are depending on you and these kind of things. And so. Yeah. Um, Those were the kind of like the, I kind of, as I reflect on things, it really boils down to, you know, the mission of the organization and kind of what they wanted to achieve was interesting. The people that I felt like, okay, this is going to be a place I can learn and grow and they're going to challenge me. And I want to work with these folks. And then fundamentally like the opportunity for me and for the company, um, like I felt like there was something um, special there. I could have never in a million years, you know, imagined it would um, grow to where um, we got it to, but um, that was kind of the, the going in uh, thesis at least.
3: But it became one of the most valuable companies in yeah. the world and yeah. I mean a blackberry was very soon a status symbol. If you had a blackberry you were you know you were important within your company <laughs> yes <laughs> right and, and then you you left and you took a chance on another small company called Sonos, and we'll come to that in a minute. But you know these days we're talking so much about disruption and innovation when you look back at your time at RIM or when you just look back at the company do you think RIM could have disrupted a little bit more innovated a little more did the blackberry have a chance
4: absolutely um and so th- this is jim collins has a great quote quote which is you know it's not about what the world does to you but you know kind of what you do to yourself and so i'm a big believer yeah. in the fact that you know companies uh, ultimately determine you know their own destiny and have choices that if they go different directions, will um, result in different outcomes. And so, you know, one of the um, most important decisions was not to extend BlackBerry Messenger to other platforms. So we actually had we had the world's most um, daily used instant messaging service at that point with 80 million daily active users. WhatsApp at that point was the second largest with about 5 million daily users. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's secret sauce and the reason it sold um, for so much money to Facebook was it was working on iOS and Android, um, as well. And so ours was 80 million daily active users just on Blackberry. And so we actually had it running on iOS and Android, and there was a faction inside the company that wanted to put it on these other devices and make it an open standard so that we could build that as another business. But, um, in classic innovators dilemma, you know, for, um, kind of thinking, the hardware, there was another faction of the company that was very focused on hardware revenue and seeing it as a reason people would buy the hardware. And so they didn't want to do that because they thought it would hurt our hardware revenue. And I think in hindsight, we needed to cannibalize our own hardware revenue in the same way Apple cannibalized their iPod with the iPhone, um, you know, in order to get to the next thing, right? And build another business. And I think this is an important lesson, which is like you have to be thinking and looking around the corners to understand okay, like, is there something else coming and do we need to be extending this in a different way? Is the world changing, right? Are the trends around here different? Um, And so, you know, we, uh, I think we had a huge opportunity and we we just didn't make the right decision in that front. And, you know, we made some other decisions in terms of responding to the iPhone. So Verizon came and wrote us a massive check and we responded to the iPhone instead of building the next best BlackBerry and continuing like to stay focused on customers and really, you know, uh, make sure that we're doing something that's unique and builds on our strengths um, and delivers on what a customer's need is, we got distracted and focused on building a response to the iPhone. And that's never a good sign and never a bad thing to do. It's easy to say in hindsight, but there's a lot of companies you watch that will respond with a copycat product. And it it rarely does that ever work.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Osage County,
1: Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that, at the turn of the century, was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, "In Trust" on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How has how
3: that learning influenced your strategy now? And it's
4: on us. Yeah. So the, those two, you know, kind of learnings, if you will, one, I'm, you know, extremely paranoid because having gone through an amazing ride and building a company up to $20 billion in revenue, um, you know, I think doing that and doing that at the at a young age, as I came out and did that, you kind of take it for granted. And um, and so I'm much more paranoid about what's changing in the world. What are we not doing right? What's going to threaten us and threaten our business? And so two examples that kind of build on those that I gave you about RIM is um, we were faced with an opportunity to, and and this was very, this, because we've always built our own products and done it all ourselves, we were approached um, a few years ago by Ikea to do a potential partnership. And they, they actually proposed, um, a lamp speaker, um, which is out in the world now, and as well a picture frame speaker, and some some form factors that we had never really you know thought of as something that we would do. And they obviously are in way more countries than Sonos um, was at a particular point in time. And they wanted to do it at a price point that we would never reach on our own. And so there was a lot of soul searching in the company. of, Well, wait a minute, we've never you know given our software and expertise to help another company you know build products that would fit in our ecosystem. And to me, it was very akin to that um idea at rim of okay like maybe opening blackberry messenger up to other products and thinking differently about the way we approach this and so we struck a partnership with ikea um, that's been very successful using our software and leveraging all of that and some of our hardware and expertise and it's helped us reach millions of new customers that we wouldn't have reached before and then you know our belief is there'll be lifelong sonos customers buy some of our other products and these types of things but it was very much like a cultural shift inside the organization, but I, I draw the line right back to you know some of the experience I had um, at Rim. And then I, I would say on the don't respond you know directly to your competitors' front, yes. when Amazon and Google jumped into the smart speaker category, they brought out these $25 speakers that they don't make money on but they're using to try and get into your home and get you to use their services. And there was a faction of at Sonos that said we need to go build one of those twenty five dollars speakers, and I said that is exactly what we're not going to do because <laughs> you're not yeah. going to go respond like we that that's not what we do. We build yeah. premium products, right? And instead, we use their services. So we're the, we were the first company to support both of the voice services from Amazon and Google for our customers, and they could choose which one to use on their $200 plus products, right? So you get that option of using the best of what Amazon and Google have, you get the choice, you're not locked into one ecosystem, and you get a much better, higher quality product that's going to last longer. And so, you know, there's a different, you know, there's a different way to compete and compete on your own strengths, right? And for the customer you want to go after, as opposed to simply responding to what, you know, somebody else jumping into the category is doing. And so those are, you know, learnings that um, I think really directly came from my experience mm-hmm. at RIM.
3: What got you interested in technology in the first place?
4: When I I was so fortunate, when I was in second grade um, at an elementary school, I grew up in a small town in Canada. Um, we were one of the schools that um, were was given a Commodore computer. Um, well, and I
3: remember those.
4: Yeah, yeah, the all in one. Oh, no, the big clunky grade. thing, of course. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so, um, because I think it was because of my grades, I had an opportunity to spend time programming it and get used. And then we started a, a computer club and got into it. And I was just amazed, you know. And so from there, um, my parents eventually splurged and got us a Commodore 64 for the home. And I started doing some programming. And I just, I just loved the possibilities, right? And and the idea of what technology could represent and push us forward. And it felt like the future um, to me. And so I really got in touch with that again. I kind of went away from it um, for a few years when I was in school and that kind of stuff. But then when I was coming out, I was, I kind of got back into it. I did an internship um, at IBM working uh, on their laptop team and kind of working in technology again. And I was just so excited about the products and actually building something. And you know, the most, the thing that is so awesome about working at Sonos and it was about working at BlackBerry is you tell someone like where you work and what you work on. And they're like, oh, I love it. Right. I love that product. And you see them light up and you, you know, you see what you're delivering and you're delivering something that, um, you know, either makes them more productive in the case of BlackBerry um, or, you know, really brings joy to their life with Sonos. And that's the best. And I just love bringing all the pieces together. It's so complicated, right. Compared to Um, many things that are out there, especially with supply chain challenges that we've seen these days, but it is so rewarding to me to then see how you bring these things together, work with people that really care about building an amazing experience, right? And something that's different and new. um, And then just, you know, um, the customer reaction is the best. So...
3: You grew up in Canada and you often talk about that. You're a proud Canadian. You reference Canada a fair amount in yes. your interviews. What was it like to grow up in Canada and how does being Canadian, if at all, influence you, the person that you are?
4: That, yeah, a great question. I mean, it is in Canada as you grow up, because the United States is so big and uh, so influential you can't help but think about uh, like kind of be outside of yourself and thinking about the external world. And so Canadians are very much thinking one, because of the humility generally, but two, they're, they're thinking outside themselves and thinking about um, others in the United States and trying to figure things out. Um, And I think a little bit more curious in that way um, and just externally focused. And so I think it puts your mindset in a way where Um, you're a little bit more self-aware and a little bit more aware of um, your, your place in the world a little bit and that you have to, you have to adjust and adapt. And, you know, you're not going to be able to just be in Canada necessarily if you want to build something special. Right. And so Mm -hmm. how do you, you know, how do you watch and observe and kind of adapt to different cultures, not just the United States, but globally, right. Which was our challenge, I would say at RIM. And I found I think there's a, you know, because of the reputation of Canada, we get a bit of a, you know, a bit of an open door to a lot of the countries that we try to do business because we ended up doing um, doing business in most countries around the world. Um, so that kind of helps as you go in. But I also think it helps because we're very curious and very much um, want to collaborate, um, want to understand, want to learn. And we don't approach anything with the idea that we have everything figured out. And so I think as a leader as well, I think there's, some benefits to being a leader in that way um that also attracts um great people and you know and makes it more of a collaborative effort certainly you know I, I think a lot of um a lot of what i use every day was much more uh from my sports background growing playing a lot of team sports and you know how do you collaborate and kind of um you know team up to maybe beat a team that has more talented players but together if everybody you know plays their role you can be more successful and i think that's been you know uh, ironically enough like the my kind of my career story too because who would have guessed a you know a small company from a small town in canada could become the world leader in smartphones and who would have guessed that you know a small company um in a you know in a in a city outside of silicon valley you know, would actually um, become the world's leading smart speaker company, um, and so it's always been a bit of like an underdog type approach. And I think that's very Canadian as well.
3: We've touched on so many things. I want to ask you about. I wonder which one to go to first. Underdog approach. I want to talk about that. But before that, you know, one thing struck me. You said that because if you're great, you've got this Commodore um, computer. Yeah. Were you a really studious kid? I know you were, I know you're a very sporty person and that sports has played a big part in your life. So what was the balance like for you as a kid?
4: Yeah, I think I was, I was both. um, And I was just very driven uh, to achieve uh, and, You know whether it was in sports or you know or even like singing in the choir or being in the play, you know, and wanting to kind of do everything. So I was very much, I think, my parents encouraged me to try kind of everything and tried pretty much every sport out there, Um, tried a bunch of activities and. And and I was naturally curious to kind of learn more and kind of, you know, get engaged in everything. And I loved school and I loved learning. And I think that's a reflection of, you know, both my parents and as well our our teachers that, you know, I was lucky enough to have, um, I think, instill that in people, right? Or one way or the other. And so, um, but yeah, I was very studious as well. And so, um, but I loved it. Like, I mean, as I look back, you know, it was just the things that I enjoyed and I wanted to spend time on and I couldn't wait, you know, and what is in school, I couldn't wait to get home and you get on the Commodore 64 and like program that latest <laughs> thing out of Byte magazine. And then sometimes it was like, okay, you know, we have a basketball game or a baseball game. And um, I was super excited about those things too. So um, I was just in, really engaged and curious, I would say. Too.
3: This curiosity, this desire to keep pushing yourself to excel. Does it come more from mom, from dad, or tell me a little bit about that because you said your parents really supported you. But you obviously really pushed yourself. I'm just curious, what was the atmosphere like at home?
4: Yeah, well, um, so it what an interesting as I like kind of reflect on that. Um, I think they were they're just very supportive. Um, my is mom's. Is anecdote, like,
3: for example, that stands out that you remember at
4: all? Wow, the the one you know the the most probably the most interesting one is that because uh, I'll go a little bit further. I think this you know kind of brings everything to a four. Is my father worked for the uh provincially owned hydro utility company for 31 years like that was his career right and so when i was I was deciding between, you know, uh, an opportunity at IBM or at Rim, which was obviously much more risky. Nobody knew who Rim was. Like, is this no. company ever going to yeah. be business? You know, my dad said um, he was like, "I'm so supportive of you going to Rim and like give it a chance, right? You know, give it, take the risk." Even though he worked at a place for thirty, 30 years, years. He's safe, right? All of that, and so that was like that is uh, one of those things that I'm not sure I would have made that decision if I didn't, you know, ultimately um have that support and then i think the other anecdote i would give you is just their presence like for whatever i was choosing to do their presence and support so showing up at all of the games right and just being there and being there you know for school events and and some of those academic moments too and i think just the the fact that um they were so supportive of anything i was going to do i just think that gives you a degree of confidence right and yeah. helps you it helps push you forward and so um, yeah, I couldn't ask for more supportive parents.
3: And you, I know that family is really important to you and you try to do the same for your two daughters.
4: Yeah. And they made a big decision, um, you know, in the pandemic to also return to Canada and go to a boarding school, which they did on their own you know, they did on their own, um, initiative. And so it was a challenging thing for me and my wife because, you know, they decided to return and we want to be supportive of them, but we also never imagined they would leave us in the high school years. So so one's, one's a, one's a senior in high school and the other is a sophomore in high school. And so we, uh, we thought we, you know, we would have them for a few more years and, uh, we don't, but again, I think it, I think it's one of those things you pay forward, right? Because we've been very supportive of them doing that and they're having an incredible time and they're loving the school and the city they're in in Canada and they love to be back in Canada. And, and, and so, you know, uh, the best thing that my wife and I could do is just support them in that and help build their confidence as we go through it. And so it's funny the way these things, you know, do get paid forward.
3: Your empty nest is a little ahead of time.
4: That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah.
3: You must, you must miss them a lot.
4: Oh, uh, uh, don't, don't go there.
3: <laughs> I have a son who's a freshman in high school. And just the fact that he's in high school, I think, oh my God, only three years. Oh my right, God.
4: You know? Right, right. So imagine <laughs> if he left, because that's what our, no, that's when like, our younger <laughs> one left, right? It was like, oh no, my I'm, goodness. Uh. No,
3: I'm not thinking about that just yet. No, I'll give <laughs> myself a few more years, right?
0: <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval.
4: Terms apply. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
3: (laughs) And you talked about this underdog mentality. And, you know, I mean, this is a very well-reported part of uh, Sonos' history, but... Classic David and Kulaita uh, yeah. fight, you know, your patent infringement with Google earlier this year. Um, you won that, right? You won that. Uh, the, the U.S. International Trade Commission ruled that Google smart speakers did infringe on five of your patents. Congratulations yep. on the victory. Thank you. But, uh, I mean, that's a hell of a fight. <laughs> and weren't you really nervous taking on Google?
4: You know, it, it's... Um, the, there were some moments like a sleepless nights where you're like, it's the sure. right, right thing to do. Right. In terms of taking on Google. But, but I also think, um, you know, everything kind of happens, you know, to, for, for a reason as you kind of go through this and understand. And I, I think I was at a point in, in my career where I'd seen a lot and understood a a lot. And also I lived through a period where there have been big companies before and powerful companies, right? That we've competed against. So back in the RIM days, we competed against Microsoft and Qualcomm and, and some of these other large companies. But I really saw, you know, I've really seen um with some of the large tech companies today this continued pattern of you know, if they see anything that gets traction, jumping into it and really trying to destroy the economics and really use their balance sheet to um, harm the other companies that are in there. And oftentimes those startups aren't in a position that they can actually fight back, right? They either haven't filed the intellectual property or they don't have the financial wherewithal and and balance sheet to do it, right? And so I felt a real, you know, obligation uh, to do it and to stand up for what's right. And it sounds so cliche, but fundamentally, you know like you do have to take a stand at some point and say this just isn't right and that that to me you know has been the biggest thing um through this and it, it helped you know kick off some of the things that have happened in congress subsequently around antitrust and all of these exactly. things and i just i really think that um we i think that that companies have learned how to perfect the monopoly and extend a monopoly into particular areas and i don't think that's good for citizens of the country right and i think fundamentally that you know, we need to make sure that, that we are, we're not allowing power to concentrate in too few hands. That never turns out well in any scenario in history. And so certainly I felt some, you know, I felt like, is this the right thing for Sonos? What, what I really focused in on was how do I make sure it's not a distraction? Because we need to continue yeah. to innovate, right? Continue to bring out great products. Like you cannot stop that part of it. Too many companies that have been down this road end up in a situation where they're just focused on the litigation and the history of it. And so we have an amazing um, general counsel and a team on the intellectual property side that stays focused on that you know, 99% of my team and the company is focused on the next innovation and making sure that happens. And so that was probably like the most risky thing, you know, from my perspective was how do, how do I make sure we don't end up in a situation where we're, we're, we're allowing this to distract us. And so, you know, we've continued our innovation. We've continued to introduce new products. We continue to grow. We're more successful, more profitable. Um, So I think we're on the right path and I think we're, you know, doing the right thing in terms of trying to hold um, you know, people that are doing the wrong things accountable. And so, um, it's been good to see the validation in the, in actually winning the cases. You know, we have many more that are forward. You know, we, we believe that Google infringes over 150 of our patents. And so we've only, you know, had the, had the trial on five at this point, but, um, yeah, it was big. There were some sleepless nights. I have a very supportive board that also agreed it was the right thing to do. And, you know, we really coalesced around, all right, you know, um, like we can't let people, we can't just stand idly by, you know, there's so many people we were, I think at that point, 18 years, you know, into the company and yeah. so many people had put so much energy and their so much of their life into building all of this. And then, you know, I can't sit idly by while people, um, you know, see that copied and um, just, you know, kind of trampled over. And so I have a duty, I felt to the people that invented You know all of this many of whom are still here um to stand up for it and hopefully it you know ushers in a new era where companies will think twice about doing that big companies um as startups come in but um i don't know we'll have to see how all this plays out
3: you said you have a duty to the people um you know who were personas who created the technology what kind of leader do you think you are what are the values you that are most important to you as a business leader
4: Yeah, I think I hold myself to the highest, um, you know, standards and and walking the talk is really important, you know, to me. Um, I I do think I come from a place of trusting um, our people and, you know, really feeling like I'm in a position to serve them and I need to create an environment that allows them to do great work. So, um, you know, we want to be a place where people can do the best work of their life and everyone feels welcome and included. And I talk very openly about that. Um, You know, when I I said we threw out the playbook when the pandemic struck and number one thing was support our people and make sure that we're doing that because that that's the impact we can ultimately have and so we have a clear set of behaviors that I expect from people um, respect ownership transparency, and collaboration. And we detail what those mean. And then as a, for instance, you know, for my, the people that report to me, and then for all leaders inside the company, we measure them and their performance on 50% on what they achieve. So the work that's done, but 50% as well on how they achieve it. And so are they living to those behaviors and, um, you know, making sure that we're leading in the right way and creating that kind of environment. And I, I really think it pays off in, Performance. And then I think it pays off as well in retention because we're not seeing the kind of um, you know, attrition that so many companies have seen through the great resignation. And so I think if you treat people that way, you come from that position of trust, you can build an amazing company of great people that you know are going to be loyal over the long period of time. And that's that's what I want to build. I want to build something, you know, having gone through what I did at RIM, one of the most important things to me is that you know, 10, 20 years after my time at Sonos is done, Sonos is still growing and relevant and a company people want to work at. And if I can look back, then that'll have been, you know, an incredible um, legacy and impact for me.
3: Trust. We've gone back to talking about trust, which is what we began this conversation by talking about. And I'm just curious, you know, every company does have a culture and um, trust is obviously very important to your company's culture. How does a leader, how does the CEO actually create a culture? How do you let every single person in your company know that you trust them and they should trust you? And how do you create a culture of trust? It's and very that's easy a great, to talk about it, but
4: how yeah, do you totally and, and totally easy to also put it you know, as a value on a right. You know, poster, right? Or say something like yes. that. But the rubber meets the road in a situation like the pandemic striking and what are we going to prioritize? Right. And in that situation, you know, throwing out the playbook and then saying, we're going to support our people. We're going to do care time. Like some of those things I think builds that. And so, you know, it's all about the actions that you take, but I'll tell you, the other big one is something like intentional flexibility. There's all these things swirling around, right. When it comes, how are we going to go back to office? When are we going to do that? You know, the reality is we try, you know, if we trust our people, then intentional flexibility is exactly the right thing to do because we trust you to have a conversation with your manager, to do an assessment of where you're best placed. Like it all comes through in the actions and the way that you, um, you know, in, in the way that you are deciding what you're going to do. You know, we, um, we're pretty, um, tr- you know, we trust people when it comes to travel, like some of these things, we don't get very policy focused on some of those things. And so, It really boils down to the actions and the policies you're putting in the organization, or the lack of policies. If you have like a 900 page, you know, kind of how how you travel and travel policy and all this stuff, (laughs) I would argue you don't trust people. And so, you know, like there's some of those things um, that I, I so I think it's actions speak louder than words. That's you know a big big part of it, and you're. You know you're challenged on it um, every single day, and I think you see it in the decisions that we make as an organization because it's much more than just me. But um, you know I, I think right now probably the the you could look at every company and you can determine I would argue how much they trust their people based on how are they approaching their. Um, you know, kind of the next phase of return to office or not as we go through it. it's a really interesting time. And how does that play into the retention or attrition they're seeing as well? I, I mean, there's something fascinating to that right now at this point in time, because I think I think if we boil it all down, it gets back to the trust. And do you trust your people to, you know, like do their work and figure out where they're best and most effective, Um, or are you, or is it about you and about what you need as a leader, right, to, do you need to see people around, and do you feel like you need to see them in order to know that they're doing work, right, for instance, which um, I just think is misguided, quite frankly.
3: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, and uh, it just, it's, we're at such a pivotal point in our in our history, right? Where I think the yes. system work has changed forever and it does just come down to trust. It really it does. does. I think but I think employees are demanding it now as well. Like yes. if you feel like oh, my boss doesn't trust me that I'm gonna get my work done from home. You know, right. people will go somewhere else.
4: That's what, I totally agree. I think that, that's exact I think that's exactly why people are going elsewhere is, yeah. is because this, the you know, the trust or lack of trust um, you know, kind of gets highlighted in all of this, right? So Yeah.
3: Yeah. And of course, I have to ask you, as CEO of Sonos, what do you enjoy listening to? What's on your playlist? And how do you enjoy your music? And what do you listen to?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, I listen to all genres. You won't be surprised. I'm a huge like hip hop fan from a long, you know, long time ago. And obviously with Canadian Roots, Drake and The Weeknd are some of the bigger ones that, you know, um, I enjoy for sure. But I recently joined the Music Academy of the West, which is um, a music academy here in Santa Barbara. And so I'm starting to listen to more classical. So there's classical on Sonos Radio I've been listening to. and I've been trying to understand and appreciate that. And I really, you know, I'm kind of getting into it um now but we also have an amazing concert venue here at the Santa Barbara Bowl um where we go see um people and who did we oh who did we just go to because we go to so many um we just brought my mother-in-law to someone uh Johnny oh he's a Grammy Award winner I'd never been to a bluegrass concert before um I can't remember (laughs) his name is but it was amazing anyways you know
3: we're trying to
4: we're trying to we try to listen to all we can um that's out there and you know um I just love all the music and I think it tells a story and also brings us back to you know points in our life where um we can reconnect with the emotions of that moment and so I often use music to go back to certain times in my life and it you know fills me with certain emotion so
3: Patrick this podcast is called out of office what's your favorite thing to do when you're out of the office
4: uh, definitely uh, physical things. So I work out on the beach every morning uh, that I'm in Santa Barbara, and then we run in the mountains on weekends. And so um, when, I'm, when I'm not working, I'm usually uh, running or working out.
3: Being active.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation.
4: Me too. Thank you.
3: That was my conversation with Patrick Spence, CEO of Sonos. I really enjoyed this chat and I especially liked his ideas around trust and how he linked it to intentional flexibility, which is so important and so relevant today. Let me know what you think. My Twitter handle is this is Malika. Remember, Out of Office is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com. So do check out some of the other episodes. This episode of Out of Office was produced by Yang Yang. I'm Malika Kapoor. As always, thank you for listening.